contracts, intellectual property, labor law, and much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of End Scene, an entertainment law podcast. I'm Tony Costas. And I'm Evan Nard. Tony, we're back in action. How was your trip to Orlando? I saw your TikTok. That was very fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I have to say, I was a bit surprised at how packed Magic Kingdom was. Um, Why? I, I can't explain it. I, actually, maybe I do. Uh, I do have an, a reason. Um, too many people, too many Disney influencers have gone on TikTok and mm. Instagram, and they basically said the lowest wait times are at the end of September. And I guess everybody got the memo, <laughs> and the low wait times were just non-existent. Was that part of your decision to go, or you just happened to to know? So, uh, so we, M- Melissa and I, had gone to Disney World at the tail end of September as well, basically that week of Yom Kippur yeah. um, in 2021. Where all, all the Jews are, are repenting for their sins and they're not, they're not, they're not riding uh, Thunder Mountain. <laughs> right. Uh, space, space Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Excuse yeah, me. Right. Exactly. Um, so the, so at that time, the, the weights were pretty low and considering that, you know, I don't, you know, when at that time I didn't have to teach on that Tuesday because uh, school, uh, the, the schedule was, uh, adjusted such that I did not have to teach on uh, Yom Kippur or the following day. So that same situation arose this semester for entertainment law. I didn't have to teach on that Tuesday. Um, so basically months ago, I had said to Melissa, why don't we plan a trip for Disney? And conveniently, her sisters and their kids uh, were off that week from school. So we basically planned like this whole family reunion and the weight of the world was on my shoulders to plan that vacation, the hotel and all that. Obviously, Melissa helped with a lot of the orchestrating as well, but it, it just was a lot of planning for 11 people total. So so a bunch of Italians, Greeks, and non-Jews were all free is what you're telling <laughs> that, me. That's basically the, the, the <laughs> gist of it. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm glad you had a nice time. Um, welcome back. I'm jealous. I'm going to Florida in a few weeks to see Keith Urban, who I missed in Vegas. This uh, is so. re- redemption for sure. Red- redem- if my flight gets canceled, I'm coming after you, Jeff Blue. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we have a great episode for you guys today. Uh, the writer's strike is over. Yay. Woo! Congrats. Fanfare, uh, insert confetti, and everything else <laughs> under the sun. <laughs> love that. So the writer's strike is over after, oh my God, I don't even know how many days, at least 140 something. Um, I don't know, oh, 146 days. Uh, 146 days, it's over. So we will talk about the ramifications of that and what that means from a broad perspective. Uh, Also, if you were on social media, uh, you might have seen that Disney collaborated with the NFL, Disney Pixar, to create a live simulcast of the Atlanta Falcons-Jacksonville Jaguar game on uh, Disney Plus in Andy's room, the Toy Story character Andy, which was incredibly cool. We'll go into how that happened and you know what we can expect for the future. And in light of the Swifty mania that is taking over the NFL, uh, the news that she is dating tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, Tony and I think we would it would be fun to say what team we would root for if our team that we rooted for, which is the Patriots and Giants respectively, if they were not in existence, who would we choose in this present day uh, and why? 
in light of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and being on the NFL theme. So let's take it away. But before we do, Tony, please share our disclaimer. Yes. As always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. Great. Thank you. So here we are. Writer's strike is over. So you guys may remember we've spoken about it uh, ad nauseum on the podcast. There are two strikes that are current. Well, one strike that's currently happening up until a few weeks ago, uh, the WGA strike and the SAG after strike. Both of these strikes are against the AMPTP. The AMPTP is comprised of the big studios, Disney, Warner Brothers, uh, Warner, Warner, Warner Brothers Discovery, excuse me. Um, oh my God. Universal. Apple, Netflix, Universal, you name it. And there was a lot of uh, tumult for lack of a better word. Ooh, what the nice fancy vocab word there. Yeah, uh, uh, a lot of tumult. Um, that's not Yiddish, is it? That's like a legit no, word. No, that's, that's a legit English word. Okay. <laughs> uh, t- a tumult on, you know, how the writers would be paid and the same thing is happening on the actor's end. So the good news is that the writer's strike is now over. Uh, and, and it seems like both sides came to an agreement that is mutually beneficial so I will share what it means from a broad lens, like what that means as for the entertainment world as a whole. And Tony will go into a little bit of the intricacies of what that means for the writers themselves and the studios. So basically, all the late night shows, Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel, I believe Trevor Noah, if he's still on. Uh, I don't actually, I don't think he is. Seth, uh, Seth Myers Seth is. Seth Myers, yep. John Oliver uh, as well would have John, John Oliver. They are all back. They were not operating without writers because writers are the ones that do the scripts and and the, you know, the jokes, the monologues and all of that. And they really couldn't operate. Some shows, you may be thinking to yourself, you know, maybe uh, Kelly and Mark, uh, for example, or the Today Show or GMA or CBS Mornings or even The View, they operate without, uh, they are WGA exempt. So they have been going on on air for the entire duration of this strike. So they're not affected. Drew Barrymore, though, is it, it she was in the headlines for wanting to start her show again, got a lot of pushback on that, decided to stop. And then a week later, it was resolved. Uh, so unfortunate timing there. But um, public, public pressures basically yeah. govern there. <laughs> govern there. But uh, anyway, everything is hunky dory. But not the SAG after way. Uh, not 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 for the SAG after at this point. Although I do feel optimistic that if WGA and SAG were a, or WGA and AMPTP were able to come to a resolution, that SAG may as well. Uh, so that's kind of from the bird's eye view. There's a lot of things that are going back into motion. Scripts are being written. Uh, the late night shows are really the the predominant thing. Um, during movie premieres, I know there's a ton of premieres that are happening. Writers of the screenwriters of those movies may attend. They are no longer exempt. They are no longer striking. Um, but Tony, why don't you go into like a few of the top level items of the resolution between the two parties and what it means for writers? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, if you guys are interested, the WGA actually has the full 90 page memorandum that essentially lays out the general well more specific terms but does provide some of the more micro uh conditions that were agreed upon between wga and amptp but of course the elephant in the room that we have to address that was the subject of probably 
the biggest subject of the whole strike was AI and whether or not um, Hollywood studios would allow the use of artificial intelligence generated scripts in the uh, in the movie industry. And, you know, Evan and I have spent a lot of time talking about this on the podcast and everybody knows my stance on AI, um, especially how um, sort of contradictory it would be for Hollywood studios to embrace the use of artificial intelligence generated scripts, mainly because my argument was if a Hollywood studio decided to write an entire script for a TV pilot or even a series or a film, the concern there is that screenplay or that script, whatever was composed, could not then be registered in the U.S. Copyright Office. And that's only because the U.S. Copyright Office has been extremely emphatic about anything AI-generated not receiving any copyright protection. And the one thing Hollywood thrives off of is literally building an IP portfolio. That means taking every single screenplay, screen treatment, uh, every single synopsis that they write for an episode or for a film, every scene, every music note that is recorded for a show, everything and every anything related to film or television is taken and registered in the U.S. Copyright Office. Mm-hmm. So when we heard the headline that Hollywood was interested in using AI, I felt very, you know, very apprehensive about that, and rightfully so. And so did a lot of the writers. Well, thankfully, because of this nearly 150-day holdout, the writers got their way. There is now a bar from any use of artificial intelligence um, in Hollywood for any film or television productions. The new agreement basically states that AI will not be considered as a writer, and basically anything it generates cannot be considered literary, assigned, or source material. Um, It does leave room, though, for writers to, let's say, use artificial intelligence as a tool, let's say, to inspire ideas, but it is not the substitute for the actual writer itself. Um, so the only way that would happen, though, is if the production company actually consents to the use of AI as a tool. But writers do not have to be compelled to use AI to create the material, and I think that condition alone creates a really massive win for the uh, for the writers, no doubt about it. Tony, if I may also, it, it says, I'm looking at a synopsis here, the company must disclose to the writer if any materials given to the writer have been generated by AI or incorporate AI-generated material. So that's a big protection. That is absolutely huge. And if anything, I think that uh, surely that I think provides a, a pretty even safeguard at this point in time. I think we can we, we can acknowledge that AI right now is truly the wild, wild west from a copyright point of view and even broadly from more of an ethical point of view. But mm. having that safeguard right now with the lack of regulation, law, even case law on this point, even though we have a lot of you know pending litigation about artificial intelligence and copyright at this present time, I think having that sort of safeguard is great. And I think this is easily a win for the uh, writer. So I'm very happy about that. No question about it. Yeah. And then, you know, a few more top line items, like it looks like there's weekly pay increases for staff writers, um, about streaming data transparency that this is, I think is, is incredible for both, for both sides, you know, in, in, in terms of transparency, the companies agree to provide the guild subject to confidentiality agreement, the total number of hours streamed both domestically and internationally. Uh, the guild may share information with the membership in aggregated form. So, you know, that's great too. If we're talking about residuals, we won't have AMPTP um, hiding hiding the ball. You won't have the the writers asking for more than they're due. I think I think it 
it's great to be transparent for both sides. I think that's Absolutely. a win for both sides. Um, you know, increased health and pension contributions. And, and, and it's also important to, to mention that the term goes until May 1, 2026. Hopefully so, we don't get a strike then. Yeah, hopefully we don't get a strike then. But for the next three years, um, think well, a little bit less than three years, things are solidified. So um, one, one thing I was ahead. going to say briefly about the transparency thing, which I agree with you, that is great for both sides. Um, we talked about this in one of our podcasts about the strikes when they were about to happen. DGA was able to come to terms on their CBA with AMPTP and the Writers Guild and SAG, I think at that time, both put out releases that even though DGA was able right. to come to terms, that didn't mean that they had been able to come to terms with AMPTP respectively. I think that this, what we're seeing with WGA at this present time with the AI conditions and even with this whole transparency point, I think that these are great bargaining chips for SAG-AFTRA to take to the collective bargaining table and maybe negotiate similar points for them. I think that they could totally write off the coattails of WGA, maybe even benefit a little bit better on the transparency points more specifically and get that uh, CBA signed and done for. And I think it makes sense too, if AMPTP is already expending resources to get this information, why not just also do it for the other party that can seem to benefit as well? I Absolutely. mean, I, I don't, I, I, you know, again, I'm not bargaining for either side. I can't speak to how much it will cost, but I can't imagine that they need to go through a whole other level of getting data that they're already getting for WGA. Um, for the 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 transparency of how long things have been streamed for for residual purposes, um, but in any event, so that's awesome. You you are seeing a lot of SAG members on shows, um, Good Morning America, what have you, uh, and but that's mainly because either a they are part of a production that has not been stricken. Uh, I believe Anne Hathaway and Marissa Tomei are in a movie with Peter Dinklage. Um, I forgot what it's called. Oh my gosh. I think it's, he it, comes to me or something. Uh, Anne Hathaway, she came to me. So I got the wrong uh, pronoun there. <laughs> she came to me and she was on, uh, good morning America, uh, yesterday, I believe. And was also at the premiere at the, um, someplace in the lower East side, but you're thinking to yourself, okay, she's part of SAG. Isn't this stricken? I believe she came to me is, uh, an 824 film. Which I believe was one of those companies that had like an interim agreement. Uh, Correct. Which I think um, Sarah Priebus, one of our guests, actually yes. may have mentioned. But that is essentially kind of like the carve out where an indie production could be exempt from the terms of the SAG strike. Or if a studio engaged in their own individual uh, interim agreement with uh, the union. That's essentially how it could happen. It is not A24. It's by Vertical Entertainment. But either way, I assume that, you know, they received permission from SAG sure. and WGA to do this. Um, and it has, you know, pretty good people. Brian Darcy, James, Marissa Tomei, Peter Dinklage, Anne Hathaway. Uh, so, you know, big names out there. And they are on, a lot of people are either on the shows, either promoting books that they've yeah. written or things not related to stricken works. So, Actually, um, as a matter of fact, uh, Jimmy Kimmel was back on the air on Monday, had Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's yeah. there to promote his book. book. Yep. So exactly. same thing with Bob Odenkirk tomorrow, uh, Stephen Colbert. Yep. So or on Thursday, that is. So very interesting. Let's now talk about this NFL game. So uh, once or twice a year, maybe three times, the NFL is looking for ways to engage their audience more. 
and and really hit more of a demographic that's just the male between you know 15 to 60 or 70 whatever uh and one way to do that is to have games overseas for several years now i believe the patriots either this year or last year played in germany uh the bucks did i think and there's a lot of games in london for several years now um and i think there's actually more happening this year so this year it was or last week this past week it was the jacksonville jaguars and the atlantic falcons playing in london i I think it's in Wembley Stadium. Do you? Can you correct? I'm almost certain that it was in Wembley. If it wasn't there, it was definitely like one of the uh, stadiums around there. One of them. And, you know, subject to interpretation, whether kids should be watching football, I think the NFL <laughs> thought of a really uh, interesting idea to get the kid demographic involved. We saw a little bit of this last year when Paramount, who owns Nickelodeon, did sort of an AFC, I believe it was an AFC championship game where if there was a touchdown, there was a slime celebration, all these Nickelodeon characters that you know and love. So we've seen the NFL kind of tap into this, but this one was unlike any anything other. This wasn't just digital things happening on the field. This was a live simulcast of Bijan Robinson juking out a Jaguar defender, Trevor Lawrence scrambling for a first down, taking place in Andy's room, the owner of Woody, Buzz, Jesse, all the Toy Story characters. And what happened was they put, um, the NFL put sort of trackers in the suits, I don't want to say suits, the uniforms of the um, players. And they were able to transmit this in real time. There were some hitches, but overall it went pretty well. Uh, of them running and and scoring in Andy's room, which is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Um, and I think it really, a lot of people I posted about it on LinkedIn have been really enjoying it. Tony, what what is what are you seeing in your eyes? You know, why is this a little different than the Nickelodeon one? And uh, why do you think this is so cool? Well, I got to say, first off, I don't know about you, but my first impressions was, were, was that I loved the broadcast. Uh, you yeah. know, obviously but for the glitches to have a real time animation of this game in the style of a Pixar movie, I think is quite impressive. And from a technological point of view, very innovative. So for that reason, I enjoyed it. I loved even just seeing like a toy version of Bijan Robinson juking out some Jags defenders and uh, <laughs> even the Calvin Ridley touchdown, which I think was in the first quarter or second yeah. quarter. That was pretty cool to see as well. Um, even Sleeky dogs, like the first down marker. Amazing. So, First off, that was great. Second, um, this just goes to show you how we are now starting to see new media become the next big three. So what am I talking about? Traditionally, sports games have always been made available on the big three of TV networks, that being ABC, CBS, and NBC. And and, and Fox. And Fox, especially now in, in later, uh, in, in more recent years. And NFC games, like, I, I think... <clears throat> I don't know if Aikman does NFC. It's definitely Greg Olson. Uh, it might be um, actually uh, Kevin Burkhart who does it with yes. uh, Greg Olson. You're right. Kevin Burkhart, yep. who, by the way, was a former sideline reporter for the Mets. I mean, like we we groomed some of the best broadcasters. Uh, that That's just a little bit of a shameless plug as a Mets fan, even though we sucked entire <laughs> year. But um, all, either way, I mean, you know, we, we've seen NFL games on uh, ABC. We've seen uh, Sunday Night Football games on NBC. 
NBC has been the home of some of the most iconic basketball games that we've come to know and love. Um, you know, the iconic John Tesh intro, uh, round ball rock. I mean, that was, that was the hallmark of basketball in the nineties. Uh, CBS with its great broadcast, we have seen all these networks broadcast these great and historic sports games. And I think that now with the proliferation of streaming and newer media, we are starting to see this wave of sports games becoming more readily available to a more contemporary audience. And yep. I think we've started to see this with Amazon Prime, with yep. its deal with the NFL for Thursday Night Football, which I think is innovative in its own way. Yep. Apple TV Plus with MLS games being broadcast there, and I believe baseball yep. game as well, right? MLB Friday, yep. So we're seeing this in full effect with this Disney plus uh, streaming of the toy story game uh, for this, you know, early morning football game. And I think that for the NFL to, well, first off for Disney to get the, the broadcast rights to a London game, I think is great in and of itself. You're going to get great ratings, even though the teams, you know, may cater to a very specific fan base. At the end of the day, you are, you are going to get generate views because there are going to be people internationally or even just fans of football tuning into that game as early as nine o'clock in the morning. So that's a win right there for ABC and ESPN. Number two, to get the streaming rights of this game and to have it in a manner that is catering to children, that is not in the violent fanfare of a football game. I think is also a win because now you are catering to a younger audience that is different from what you have typically seen with the Nickelodeon football games. Yeah, it's the actual broadcast, but like this, it's just more of like a overlay, if you will. Right, um, right. We even saw this with NBA games where they did an overlay of Marvel superheroes. I believe it was one of the Pelicans games, and I forgot who the other team was, but we saw that last season, and I think we're likely to see that in the future. I just think that this. This Toy Story game was incredibly innovative. The, the ability for Disney to get these uh, get the streaming rights for this game to employ its own IP in this manner, I, I, I think that this is just the beginning of something very, very special. We are definitely going to see this uh, pan out a little bit more. This is probably just an experiment at this point in time. But I, I predict next year we're probably going to see multiple games of this format Imagine having like an Incredibles themed type of football game. That would be unbelievable. Or even like something maybe more in the realm of like Marvel or whatever it is. This is definitely the start of probably a, a, a different wave of of sports broadcasting in the coming future. In the coming and days. I think, and I think it just goes to show how far technology has come. The fact that you could seamlessly do that. Like this is not like you know. Um, I'm trying to think of the word like bimbo is not the word to use. These are not these are not um, graphics that are like low quality. This was pr this was 3D caricatures. There was a lot of time and, and effort that was put into it. And to have it be pretty seamless for the most part is in real time while in London, five hours ahead in a totally different over the seas is pretty incredible, I have to say. So and and I pick Pixar, I think, is based on the West Coast, too. So right. Anyway, and and with streaming, Tony, I could not agree more. Amazon Prime, you know, the proliferation of being able to watch things on your phone with YouTube TV now having the NFL Sunday. That's right. Package. I totally forgot about that. That's huge. More than ever, is it easy for people to not have to have cable? Um, but even so, the still the cable networks are still making money because you have to have some subscription. You don't need to be sitting in front of a cable box to watch it, and exactly. it's pretty, pretty remarkable. All right, let's wrap it up with our favorite 
team besides the team that we would root, besides our team that we root for. So I'll go first. I'm a New England Patriots fan through and through. It's been a tough go so far um, with the loss of Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez, our promising defensive cornerback out for the year. Um, it's not looking great right now. So let's take the Patriots off the map. Let's take the greatness of Tom Brady, the to six Super Bowls. If, and I'm just talking about right now, I'm not talking about a franchise, you know, like the Peyton Manning led Colts. I'm talking right now, if I had to root for a team, and I feel like we might have the same one, but I, I'll go first. The Detroit Lions. That's a great pick. Not my pick, but I love that. Pick. Okay, good. The Detroit Lions. I, I love Dan Campbell's energy. He's brought it from day one. I think they have a very talented roster. I will I'll be the first to admit I was not a Jared Goff believer, but I don't think he succeeded in the L.A. Um, scheme. I, I think he's doing very well. And, you know, you don't have any huge names on the Lions. You have Amon Ross St. Brown, um, rookie Jameer Gibbs at running back, as well as David Montgomery, Goff, and then Aiden Hutchinson, who was the second overall pick. Other than that, like they don't have any household names like, you know, a Kelsey or an Aaron Donald or an Aaron Rodgers. And yet there's they're kicking some some serious tail right now. And I, I just love everything that they're about. They've they've used their picks wisely because they've been so poor the past several years. Um, they've really built a good team there. And I think magic is happening in Detroit. I love the, the energy um, and the NFC North is always competitive, but. With the Vikings, Packers, and um, the Bears, who suck. <laughs> yeah, they really are so bad. That division is open for the taking. Rodgers is gone. The Vikings are somehow one in three, even though they're talented across the board. And then the Bears, they're the Bears. So I really think that Detroit has can make some waves, and I'm loving what I'm seeing so far. How yeah, about you? Yeah, the, the great pick right there, Evan. Um, so I'm actually going to pick a team that growing up I actually loved, and it was only for one reason. Um, but I'm going to pick the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Um, so I, as a kid, I actually loved the Miami Dolphins only because I loved the movie Ace Ventura, Head Detective. Yeah. And, you know, Dan Marino, I, I was introduced. To, that's actually my foray into football uh, because of that movie. Um, but let me Ex- tell you. Explains a lot. It, it really does, right? I mean. <laughs> I learned about football through Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura. <laughs> it was not about the game of football. It was about the sta- the the steal, the theft of the mascot, the Dolphin. Right. Um, but, you know, this team this year, I mean, the Dolphins have always been this very erratic type of team in the AFC East. And and as you know, the AFC East has always been fairly competitive, especially in the last few years with, you know, the Bills getting a better, the Jets somehow being a part of the conversation in the early 2010s and, you know, obviously sucking. But then like last year, they had like an impressive 500 record. Either yeah. way, uh, you know, clearly a very competitive division. But this team this year, I have not seen such an explosive and such a fast team in football, except if we're talking about the Miami Dolphins. I mean, Raheem Mostert, Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, Tua Tungavoa, Jalen Waddle. I mean, this is quite literally a talented and fast team. Um, top five easily right now in the power rankings, regardless of what what uh, power ranking you're looking at from whatever outlet. Um, I really love what they present as a team, and it would be very exciting to see them go to the playoffs because I think it's something different. It's a different team that you're not traditionally seeing in the playoffs, and, I, and likely if they continue on this run, uh, we may see them very well go potentially into the AFC Conference Championship if that were possible. 
I and, and also we forgot to mention mention Devon Achan or Akane, who's the rookie running back, who's uh, who's lightning quick. Him and Tyreek Hill are unlike anything I've ever seen. As a Patriots fan, I could not in good conscience root for the Dolphins, even though I'm from Florida. <laughs> um, I do think a lot of their success relies heavily on Tua's health. If he can stay healthy, I don't. I think the sky's the limit. They do Absolutely. have to overcome being, you know, second fiddle to the Bills because they did get mauled in Buffalo this this past weekend. Um, but I do think they have a lot of potential. And, I, and as much as the crap I give Mike Daniel, Mike McDaniel, excuse me, I think that he's brought a really dynamic offense uh, to the, the, the only offense. the only reason why the Dolphins got mauled was because they spent seventy points on the Broncos. So. <laughs> you know, they literally took Broncos country. Let's ride literally. And, you know, I, th- I think they should have, uh, they should have, they want feast or famine. Unfortunately, they, they, they wanted to keep it. Yeah. They should have <laughs> kept a few. Um, anyway, that is the end of episode 29, a fun podcast for you all. So many great developments, um, that occurred. And thank you for being patient with us while we are attending to personal matters. That is going to Disney and various <laughs> other vacations, um, but that's about it. Tony, why don't you take us on home? Yes, of course. Uh, we, of course, we're not filming in studio, but we want to give a special shout out to PNT Knitwear Podcast and Bookstore located in 180 Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. want to give a shout out to Hunter Zarin for the theme song, as always. Uh, we are on Shake, S-H-A-Y-K. You can use referral code NSCENE to join on the conversation on all things entertainment law. And most importantly, we want to thank all of you for listening to this week's episode of NSCENE and Entertainment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, Feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at Pod, And until next time, End Scene.